Amen. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles this morning, and of course I hope that you do, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Daniel. There we go. Go to whichever book you want to, as long as you end up in Daniel. Daniel chapter 2 is where we find ourselves this morning. I'm getting some waves for some pretty young ladies there in the front, so there you go. Good morning, ladies. Uh, so this morning in Daniel, we are continuing in chapter 2. We find ourselves kind of right here in the middle of it. Uh, last week, Justin uh, walked us through the beginning of chapter 2. Um, and what an action-packed uh, chapter Daniel 2 is. This is one, uh, one good thing about preaching through books like Daniel, these narratives, especially the first six or seven chapters here. And Daniel, they tell a story, and they tell a riveting story, and not a story of fiction, but a story of fact, a story of, of, of actual things that occurred so many years ago, around 600 B.C. And so we're kind of getting into the, the heart of this first part of Daniel and uh, just setting us up for the next several chapters here. And so definitely was a, uh, a great... Um, just a great introduction to chapter 2 last week as it dealt with the king's dream. And your, uh, your Bible may have the, a similar title there in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar's Dream. And so uh, Justin walked us through that. Uh, dreams are something that all of us can likely relate to. Uh, we likely all have dreams as kids. Uh, those dreams usually were just uh, exciting uh, exciting moments as we slept and these things that we, we dreamt of sometimes were exciting, sometimes scary, sometimes funny, and sometimes just weird, right? Um, and then as adults, uh, we continue to dream, but as adults, uh, if we've gone through maybe a little too much psychology over the years and we try to start attaching meaning to all of these uh, weird, exciting, funny, and difficult dreams, and then, we, uh, then sometimes we wake up and we don't quite remember what we dreamed but we know it was good and we know there had to be deep meaning to it and we wrestle with that a little bit and so and to be honest with you last week as Justin walked through uh, the chapter two there I had never thought about Nebuchadnezzar's dream as being one that he truly forgot I just thought it was kind of a trap and we kind of walked through that this past week as elders and uh, and there are some that do believe that indeed he truly could remember. And I can relate to that. And you can relate to that. We wake up and we, we know something just happened. And, and we may journal it or jot it down because we know inevitably in the next 10 minutes we're probably going to forget. Um, I dreamt uh, about a week or so ago that involved a real estate deal and David Letterman was my real estate agent. And I'm sure there is some great meaning there. I have no idea what it is. And uh, Daniel's not around to help. But so we, we can relate to this idea of, of dreams and visions. And, and Nebuchadnezzar's dream here is not, uh, it's probably not like anything we've had. We're not going to get into his dream this morning, but in the next uh, few weeks. And we'll see what this dream is and, uh, and how the Lord's going to use it. So as we recap just these first 16 verses here of chapter 2, is, as he is dreaming and the first cha chapter 1 setting up kind of what's going on in Babylon and who Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are, or Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we're more familiar with, um, how they've gone through these uh, these first three years and they're being trained up uh, in the king's court and uh, we see the Lord has shown them uh, favor and he's granted them wisdom and knowledge. Uh, he has helped them grow in might as we'll see again uh, this morning. 
And then you come to chapter 2, um, and we see that Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream, and his spirit was troubled, as it says there in verse 1, and his sleep left him. And so he has this dream, and he calls uh, the king's court, he calls all of these Babylonian wise men in, not only to interpret his dream, but to say, you don't just have to interpret, you've got to tell me what, uh, what my dream was. And they say, well, king, surely no one in all of uh, your kingdom can do this. This is an impossible task. He's okay, impossible say you if you can't do it i'm going to kill you and not only kill you because i'm going to likely destroy your houses and uh, likely meaning to destroy your families and so this became a huge huge deal that the king said if you cannot not only interpret my dream but tell me what i what i dreamt then i will kill all the wise men of babylon i will destroy your families i will destroy your houses uh, and so obviously the king's wrath was kindled uh, and so there we come to the end of where Justin left us last week uh, with Daniel. Uh, and this uh, was made known to Daniel there uh, in verse 14, and, uh, he, or verse 13 and 14. And so uh, Arioch told him what was going on. He, and then he declared it to or Daniel declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree so urgent? And he tells him all the details. And then in verse 16, where Justin left us last week, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So he didn't delay. He went in immediately. He asked for something that the king had already rejected, had already rejected from his own wise men. They had asked for time, and he said, I know you're stalling. I will give you no time. And so here comes Daniel. He asks for some time for the king. And obviously the king grants it, as we see in verse 17 this morning. So that's kind of just a brief recap of where we are. Now let's pick up in Daniel chapter 2, verse 17, and see what happens with Daniel and his friends. And so Daniel had just told the king, hey, I'm going to, or uh, he requested an audience with the king and said he has an interpretation and he will reveal all the king has requested. So verse 17 of chapter 2, the book of Daniel then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we have asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for this chance to gather as your people. We thank you for Daniel chapter 2, verses 17 through 23, the text that is before us this morning. So as we walk through this text, Lord, would you... By your Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you help us to, uh, to see Christ ultimately in this? To see how you're at work and how you are the hero of Daniel. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, there are four things this morning I'd like us to catch from this passage. Uh, The first of which, and we'll just jump right into it, we see in verse 17. The first is that Daniel sought God's people. Daniel sought God's people. So we've seen kind of the setup. We've seen, we we see where he's at. We've been been reminded where he's at. And so he's at this juncture. He's told uh, told the king's secretary, if you will. He's told the king's court. He says, look, I want an audience with the king so that I can come with an interpretation. And he knows with that interpretation. Uh, comes not only knowing what it was or what it meant but what it was so he knows the task that is before him and so uh, so he knows he has a difficult task and he knows the consequences if he misses if he messes up if he doesn't have it and so he leaves the king's court and in verse 17 he goes to to his house and made the matter known to his three friends his three companions um hananiah michelle and azariah so he sought god's people when danger was imminent he sought his brothers of the faith he went back to where where these three friends were to to speak to them to engage them to as we're going to see in just a moment to pray together and they have already been through so much remember from the beginning abby and reagan of uh, chapter one um that the, they've gone through so much. They've been taken uh, into exile. They've been exiled from Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is in the beginning stages of being laid waste. And they've been taken to Babylon to the king's court with this first wave of people. They've gone through so much and have been doing so for three years in the king's court. So they've already endured a lot together. They've been in exile together. And they have survived. And not only have they survived, they have thrived. Uh, for these past three years and they've experienced so much and now here they are again find themselves in the crosshairs of the of the enemy and they find themselves in serious danger they indeed not just daniel but all four of them face certain death if they cannot bring a acceptable answer to king nebuchadnezzar but Daniel, he is confident in the Lord. He is exhibiting trust and faith in the Lord. As we've seen from Daniel chapter 1, as we'll see throughout Daniel, uh, that he, uh, he is one that we see who exemplifies faith. And there's no different in chapter 2 here because immediately when Arioch tells him what's going on, he asks for this audience of the king and he comes back and he doesn't, doesn't come back to devise an escape plan, doesn't come back to these three, say, look, we're stronger than the rest of them and we're smarter than the rest of them and the Lord has shown us favor, so let's come up with a good escape plan and let's get out of here. But no, he comes back indeed has a whole different strategy. But he first, he seeks God's people. He sought out God's people he was confident in the lord and so he comes to his brothers here these four teenage boys and sometimes as we as we walk through daniel we forget uh that daniel and his companions they're young they're they're these teenage boys and so in the midst of this their their life is in the balance they uh everything they know is in the balance everything they've worked for for the past three years uh is in the balance and yet they are gathering here in daniel's house and Azariah and Hananiah and Michelle are hearing for the first time what Arioch had just told Daniel of the king's plan and the king's decree. And so they're hearing this for the very first time. And again, they've found themselves in this immense danger. If you think about the original audience of Daniel, those that who would have originally uh, 
read or had listened to or heard the book of Daniel, they could relate. Whether they were the Hebrew people who were still in exile when they read this, maybe they were post-exile or even centuries later, the Hebrew people could relate to the fear that these young men uh, were experiencing and feeling. And they could relate to being in need of God's mercy. And so as, as Israel would continue to read this and encounter the book of Daniel in years to come, they could understand where Daniel and his three companions were. They could equally relate, if you will, to uh, the comfort in being together as God's people. When they, when they read that Daniel comes and gathers around Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, they could relate to the comfort that came from being together with God's people. Because God never meant for us to be alone. God never meant for us to be alone. Even if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, the only thing that was not good in God's creation was what? Was Adam's loneliness. And thus he made woman as a companion and as a helpmate. And we see the story uh, all through the Old Testament of, of Israel's God's people being gathered together. Never being alone, but walking through all the the trials and all the things that happened and occurred to Israel for all those years, did so as God's gathered people. And then we see, and we won't necessarily spend any time there, but we see, we were reminded even this morning, in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is one of our favorite passages here in North Hills. It's one that we began whenever we first uh, planted in 2011. But Acts chapter 2, not only do you see uh, Israel being God's gathered people, but you see ultimately uh, in, in the New Testament, and we see the, as the Holy Spirit comes to the church and what will become the church, and as God gathers the church, and not just uh, those who are of Israel, but all of those who come to faith in the Lord, we see them gathered themselves together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And you go through this path, this beautiful passage. It says they were, self, they were they, uh, in verse 44, all who believed were together, had all things in common, and they were doing all of these things together. In verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. And so this idea of being together as God's people makes a difference in our life because God never intended for us to live life alone. He never intended for us to be alone. He intended for us to gather as his people. This is a great reminder for us this morning as North Hills. It's a great reminder for us to lean in to God's people. Not only do you not have to carry life's burdens alone, it was never God's plan. It was never His intention. We were not designed to carry life's burdens alone. We point often in the New Testament uh, to all of the one another's in the New Testament. There are uh, about 59 one another's in the New Testament. That all these things that as believers, as those who, are, um, those who are following Christ together, especially those who are in church together, those who are in the local congregation together, should do one to another. 59, 59 in the New Testament, just to name a few, to love one another, to serve one another, to be devoted to one another, to greet one another, to bear with one another, to be patient with one another. Can you see even in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel and his three friends living that out even in the Old Testament? Being together, loving one another, serving one another, bearing one with one another, praying with one another, 
worshiping with one another, as we'll see this morning. Daniel sought God's people, and God used his people as an encouragement to Daniel, as a a system of support for Daniel and for each other, because we were never intended to be alone. But yet, the sad reality is that at some point, everyone fails us. At some point, everyone fails us. Our closest friends, our dearest brothers and sisters in Christ, our spouses, our children, everyone around us fails us at some point. At minimum, they will not live up to our expectations. But we have Christ who will never leave us, who will never forsake us, who loves us and sticks closer to us than a brother. We're never meant to live this life alone. Daniel sought God's people. Secondly, uh, Daniel and his friends, they didn't just rely on each other. They looked to the Lord. They looked to and trusted the Lord. And so not only did Daniel seek out God's people, Daniel and his friends prayed for revelation. They prayed for revelation. So in verse 17, Daniel comes to the house and he makes, known, makes issue known to his, uh, his three companions there. And in verse 18, and he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So Daniel gathered, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah gathered them together for one purpose, and that was to pray. He gathered them together to pray. And I love this little little difference there. Maybe you didn't catch it, but in verse 18, you would expect it to say that he gathered them together and called them to pray and asked for them to pray and pleaded with them, brothers, will you pray? Daniel told them, boys, this is what we're going to do. It says in verse 18, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven. So here he is. He is confident and in, in that the Lord is at work, and he's confident in the Lord. So he, 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 he instructs his friends that he's been walking with for three years now that we are going to pray, fellas. We are going to gather here in the living room of our little house that Nebuchadnezzar has given to us, and we're going to pray that God shows mercy to us and that he reveals uh, something to us, that he gives us this revelation that we might not die. And so that's what they do. They gather together to pray. I didn't just pray that God would spare their lives. This was not a prayer of desperation. They didn't just pray that Nebuchadnezzar would change his mind. That'd be a simple prayer, right? All right, boys, we're going to pray tonight. We're going to fast. We're going to pray. And we're just going to pray that Nebuchadnezzar changes his mind or that Nebuchadnezzar dies or that something else happens that this thing just goes away. Do you ever just pray that things just go away? That's not the prayer of Daniel and his three friends. But they prayed that God would grant them revelation. They prayed the hard prayer. They prayed the impossible prayer, right? The king's men, the other Babylonian, the, uh, the other wise men have already said, there's no way this can happen. There's no way anyone can come to you, king, and tell you what you dreamed last night. We can tell you what, we can interpret it for you. We can read the signs and the stars, and we can use all of our schooling and all of our education, all of our wisdom. We can give you all kinds of interpretations. But no one can tell you what you dreamt but yet daniel is bold enough to go to the lord with his three friends and pray that god would show them mercy and grant them this revelation they prayed for revelation so that they might not die 
But it would seem by how Daniel and how his three friends have already been living and how they've been operating in Babylon and what little bit we know of them already, it would seem, um, and how they've carried themselves in these first three chapters of Daniel, that their concern was that they live so that they might glorify God in Babylon. It would seem clearly that their concern was not just living, was not just not dying, but their concern was that, was that God continued to be glorified because they knew that God saved them. They knew that God showed them favor. They knew that God did all these things in their life for these past three years, not just for their good, but for His glory. And so they're praying that that glory continues. They're praying that that witness continues in Babylon. They knew that they had a God-given mission while in exile. That God was still doing something. He was still at work. And He was working and using them. And so they were on this God-given mission while they were in exile in Babylon. And make no mistake, church, that the same is true of us today. That we too are on mission. As we are in this proverbial exile, this is not our home. But God is using us because God is constantly at work in the world that's around us. And He, as we're often reminded, He's not losing. He is always winning. There's never been a moment where God has ever lost. Sometimes growing up in church, I think we've, we've uh, somehow have latched on to the idea there's this back and forth between God and Satan. And maybe the angels are keeping score. God's got this century and Satan's got this century. And now if you look in 2022, God's definitely losing. That's not the case. That's never the picture from Scripture. God is completely and absolutely sovereign. He is omnipotent. And so there's never been this scoreboard. But he is at work. And he's at work in Babylon. He's at work in the Babylon of today. He is at work in the world that's all around us. And he uses his people. We too are on a God-given mission in exile. God doesn't just act for our good. He didn't act just for the good of these four men. He acts always for his glory. He is always at work for his glory and for the good of his people. And these four young men, they knew where their hope was. They knew that, the, that their, their absolute only hope was for God to show up as they were praying. They knew their only hope was for God to respond. They knew their only hope was for God to do something. Because they didn't know what to do. They were looking to and trusting the Lord. The book of Daniel, it's interesting, doesn't tell us exactly how God reveals this to him. It says there in verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in the vision of the night. And as always, the commentators like to argue over different things and have different opinions. And some would say that he was awake and he just had this vision. I like to think, and this is just speculation, so make that asterisk in your notes there. This is not thus saith the Lord, okay? But I like to think that, uh, it, it, that he gave him the revelation that he gave Daniel the revelation in the midst of a dream. And more specifically, I like to think that these four guys, they gathered in Daniel's house that night. They gathered around, and they, I like to think they, they sang. I like to think they sang the Psalms, and they were looking to and trusting the Lord. I like to think that they probably uh, recounted all the Lord's done the past three years in Babylon, and they, they talked about how good he was and how gracious he was. They talked about how, they, how hopeless they were. 
and how they loved each other. And we don't know what's going to happen. We know God can do it, but whatever happens, we're in this together. And they, they sang songs and they, and they talked about the Lord. And they prayed, and they probably prayed for hours and hours looking to and trusting the Lord. And at the end of all that, I like to think they went to sleep. I like to think they crawled up in their bed, whatever it looked like, whatever mattress they had in 600 BC. And Babylon was probably the best mattress you could find in all the world. I like to think they crawled up in their bed and they went to sleep, trusting the Lord, trusting in the hand of God. There is no greater sleep to be had than going to bed trusting the Lord, trusting in the sovereign hand of the Lord. Will you wake up? If you want you to. What's going to happen tomorrow? Whatever He allows. Not to go to bed with a sense of worry or dread, but to go to bed with a sense of hope. Because you're trusting not in your ability, you're not trusting in circumstance or chance, you're trusting in the Lord. And so they gathered and they prayed for wisdom. They prayed for this revelation. They prayed that God in His mercy would reveal to them what the king had dreamt and what the, interpret, the right interpretation was. We see that Daniel sought God's people. We see that Daniel and his friends prayed for revelation. And we see that God, thirdly, that God brought revelation. He brought revelation that led to salvation. Verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel. Again, we don't know exactly how it happened. We're going on a limb and said that he went to sleep and he's trusting the Lord. And then God revealed to him in the same way that he revealed to Nebuchadnezzar this dream. He revealed to Daniel the dream and the interpretation thereof. But the mystery was revealed to Daniel somehow in a vision of the night. So he did it. They prayed that he would reveal himself and he, God revealed himself to Daniel in these his three companions. God brought revelation that would lead to salvation. I don't want to get ahead of our narrative here. As Justin said last week, this is our assignment. We have this text, and so we're staying faithful to this, uh, to verse 23. And so we're not going to get into the revelation yet. But all we have this morning is that, is that uh, it was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. God revealed the mystery to Daniel. Without the revelation, all the wise men, including Daniel, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah, would have certainly been killed. The revelation led to the salvation of Daniel and his companions. I can't wait to be taught more about it because that is the gospel. The revelation of God leads to salvation. And God's ultimate revelation is not a dream, it's not a vision. It is Christ. That is His ultimate revelation to us, His people, is Christ. And as Christ is revealed, then salvation is revealed. And so more on the mystery that was revealed next week. Come back. We'd like to keep you on the hook. So Daniel uh, sought God's people. Daniel and his friends prayed for revelation. God brought revelation that would lead to salvation. And fourthly, Daniel responded in worship. Daniel responded in worship. So it says quickly and cleanly there in verse 19, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. He blessed the God of heaven and he answered and said, he, he goes into this, this moment of worship. 
And who knows? Again, got a little speculation. I'm always hesitant to do that, but there's your full disclosure. A little speculation. Maybe he runs and wakes up the other three guys and says, look, did y'all get the dream too? Did you get the revelation? They woke up in the middle of the night, or maybe it's in the morning when the Lord, uh, the Lord woke them up and they gathered together and they blessed the name of the Lord. They blessed the God of heaven. They responded in worship. God acted and Daniel worshiped. As he blessed the God of heaven. Now, a little side note the God of heaven is used twice in just this short passage here in verse 17 through 23. This, this name of God that we uh, see so many different names of God throughout Scripture, they always have meaning. And so, here's the use of God of heaven twice, and we'll see it again. So, this God of heaven. It is used intentionally by Daniel to demonstrate that the stars and all that the men sought in them belonged to the Lord. And so we see that the wise men of Babylon, they were um, astrologers or astronomers. I always confuse the two. I'm sorry. I'm dumb in that regard. They study the stars for answers. They look to the stars for wisdom and for knowledge and for prophecy and for the whole life was committed to studying the stars and so here's daniel saying look to the god of heaven the god of the stars the one who created the stars they were these babylonians were looking to the stars for knowledge and wisdom and destiny and prophecy and daniel said let me tell you the one to look to and so as he worships with him and his three friends here he starts by saying blessed be the name of God forever and ever, this God of heaven, as it says in verse 19. And he says in verse 18, Daniel's use of the God of heaven is very intentional. He is looking to the one true God. Because Daniel, too, is a part of this school of studying the stars. And we'll, we'll talk about it later. There's an incredible connection to the New Testament in this. But they're looking to the stars and he, he is reminded of the God of heaven. And he worships this God of heaven. Daniel's worshipful response is very specific as we see here. Not only is he looking to the God of heaven, he's got to walk through these next few verses. And he answers and says, and there's not one particular psalm that he's singing here. There's, there's a number of psalms. There's a couple of the references in the Old Testament that, that Daniel is citing. And this is his worshipful response. It says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. What has Nebuchadnezzar been looking for in these young men? He's been looking for wisdom and might. What has God already granted these four young men? Wisdom and might. What have they been looking for? What do they pray for tonight? They prayed for wisdom. They prayed for understanding. Pray for God's mercy. And so it is God to whom belongs wisdom and might. It is not in the schools of Nebuchadnezzar. It belongs to the Lord. And He gives it to whom He pleases. It says He changes times and seasons. As these Babylonian wise men are looking to the stars to understand the times, both present and future and past, and to understand the seasons, it is the Lord who not only understands them, it is the Lord who changes them, who has control over them. So it is He who removes kings and sets up kings. So again, think back to, to being Daniel. 
and you're, and you're sitting there in your, in your room that night, you're sitting with your friends and you're praying, and what is looming in the room is this decree of this earthly king who by his very word can say, if you can't figure this riddle out, you will surely die. But he looks to the Lord and said, it is God who sets up kings. It is God who takes them away. So it is God who is the one true king. So he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. We're going to see this idea repeated again in just a couple of verses. Daniel is clearly pointing to the Lord to say wisdom and understanding come from the Lord. And I love verse 22 there. There's this, the heart of it as he's worshiping the Lord. For God has just revealed to him this mystery. He reveals deep and hidden things. It is God who brings this revelation. There is no level of understanding that man can have apart from the Lord when it comes to the deep and hidden things. We look for answers in all kinds of places. And mankind looks for answers. We're going to see this in a couple of weeks. But it is God who reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what it is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Are you getting this huge picture that Daniel is painting of the Lord as he is worshiping God? He's not just saying, Lord, thanks for the interpretation. Lord, thanks for the insight. Thanks for saving us. Thanks for keeping us alive for tomorrow. He is worshiping God and who God is and his ultimate sovereignty over every realm of of life and nature. In verse 23, to you, O God of my fathers, looking to God is not just his God, not just the God of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, but looking to the God of his fathers, who has been faithful, not just to them that night, but a God who has been faithful in keeping his covenants for every sense. He's called out his people. I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom. And now he gets very specific. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. So he, he starts there with wisdom and might. And he, how, the, how, the, uh, how God has granted them wisdom and might these past few years as they've been in Babylon. And now again, God, you have shown up. Now again, you have done something. God, you have met our greatest need. You've revealed to us the king's matter. And isn't that the way we experience God today? He doesn't just show up a few years ago and have this moment and has left us. He continues to work in our life day in and day out. God never stops working. God is always at work. God is always holding everything together. He didn't just wind up this world and let it go its course. God is always actively at work using His people for His glory and for our good. And Daniel knows this. And so his only response, the only proper response is worship. I'm going to quote two guys for you. First one is a guy named Sinclair Fergus. Not Sinclair Ferguson, but Sinclair Fergus. He says this, The test of our spirituality does not lie only in the fervency of our prayers in times of crisis. Is there ever a more fervent moment in our prayers than in times of crisis? 
But, he goes on to say, in the wholeheartedness of our worship, when God acts in grace. And if you want to write something down, you can write this line right here. It's a great line. Relief unaccompanied by worship is never an adequate response to the mercies of God. Let me say that again. Relief unaccompanied by worship is never an adequate response to the mercies of God. When God acts in your life, when God moves in your life, when God is is answering prayers in your life, when God is, is clearly at work, then we worship. We worship the Lord with gladness, with joy, and with song. And as Evan says, redeem people, sing. Redeem people, sing. And the reason why is because we worship the Lord because of not just what He's doing, what He's done, and what we know He's going to do. And this is where Daniel and his compadres find themselves. He's worshiping the Lord for what He's done, what He's doing, and what they know He's going to do. Let us be reminded through Daniel of what it looks like to remember the Lord through worship. When God acts, we worship. Now the reality is that God acts every so often. God acts every single day. And sometimes we need to stop and we need to meditate on what the Lord is doing and what He has done. I don't know what happened, but if you have an Apple Watch, I don't know if you've experienced the same thing. In the past about seven days, this new app has popped up, and it's called the Mindfulness app. Has anyone experienced the Mindfulness app yet? And it tells you to stop what you're doing, be mindful of your surroundings. You know what? That's a great idea. I wish someone else would have thought about that. Maybe the Lord. Maybe God's Word. Maybe we've been practicing this for, uh, for thousands of years. We, don't, we shouldn't have to have an app tell us to be mindful of the things around us. But we as believers, let us be reminded, let us be encouraged from Daniel here to be aware of what God is doing. If we stop and meditate on our life, on our surroundings, on the details of our day, we will be wonderfully reminded of all that God has done and that He is doing. Now I want to read you kind of a a little lengthier quote from a another commentator and I debated just doing the good old pastor thing and, and, and rewording it. But it's just too good. I want to quote this. I want to read this and, and not mess it up. But this, uh, this commentator says this, of verses 21 through 22 and 23, they are amazing for their succinct yet comprehensive and powerful assertion of the omnipotence and omniscience of God who answers Daniel. And I'll kind of go slowly through this. And so it is a, it is a very succinct passage, this, this worship of Daniel that points us to the, the omniscience, the all-knowing nature of God, and the om, omnipotence, the all-knowing power of God, the all-encompassing power. This passage points us to and reminds us of These verses assert His presence in heaven and upon the earth. These six present active participles and these verbs, if you will, that He gives us, that He gives, uh, He reveals, He knows, He dwells. 
these six words here that he gives us, they drive home his total control over the course of the world of kings and kingdoms. His impartation of wisdom and knowledge to all kinds of wise men. His total control of the difficult, deep, and mysterious things. So God, a lot's happening in these three verses here. Yet perhaps the most comforting truth of this passage is that He compassionately shares all this with His servants at the right time in the right place to rescue them from certain execution. The passage with this little song, if you will, of praise, sets the theological tone for the rest of the book of Daniel. Daniel's God far surpasses all the gods of Babylon and the gods of all of the nations. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is sovereign and that His sovereignty will be shown to extend over the nations, the peoples, the tongues by the end of this book. And so this really sets it up. As Daniel responds in worship and he looks to the Lord, it sets up who's at work throughout the book of Daniel. It sets up, as we've already said, who the hero is. The hero is not Daniel. The hero is not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we're going to see some great things from them in the next few chapters. But the hero, the one who's really at work, is God. Because if Daniel was our hero, we would be hopeless. Because guess where Daniel is? He's dead physically, and he's with the Lord. He's in his presence. He's no, of no help to us. Do not pray to Daniel. Do not pray to uh, Hananiah, Azariah, Michelle. Our hope, our hero, is the Lord. And his revelation of who Christ is. Daniel is not the hero. God is. And specifically, Christ is. And this is what we're going to see as we continue through the book of Daniel. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this great hope. We thank you for this great reminder. Lord, we thank you that we can see in Daniel and his friends, this, they've gathered together and they've leaned on each other. But most importantly, they've leaned on you. And so help us as a church to do the same thing, to lean on one another, to love one another, to be patient with one another. But ultimately, Lord, may we look to and trust you. So I pray this morning you have reminded us and encouraged us of who you are and how you're at work. And so this morning, as we have a chance to respond and worship through song, as we have a chance to be reminded of what you've done through Christ and the new covenant at your table, as we have a chance to respond in giving, Lord, and leaving this place, and we do so in all of these as an act of worship. So help us to respond to you in faith in these next few moments. In Christ's name, amen.